0: The Future of Cities is presented by Katerra. This episode is brought to you by Twilio, a leading cloud communications platform. The mission was on location at Twilio's customer and developer conference, Signal. We heard amazing keynotes, including talks from the co-creators of Westworld, the rock band OK Go, and skateboarding legend Tony Hawk. If you weren't able to make it to Signal, we got you covered. You can watch these keynotes and more by visiting the link in the show notes. To learn more about Twilio and how they are changing communications, go to twilio.com. Welcome to the Mission Daily. This week, we are previewing our new podcast, The Future of Cities. In Season 1 of The Future of Cities, we dive deep on subjects affecting how our cities are growing and changing. Each episode includes commentary from industry leading experts, including city planners, technology innovators, government officials, architects, builders, and more. This week on the Mission Daily, we are running the interviews we did for the future of cities in their entirety. Today, we share our interview with Dino Roberts. Dino is a senior director of global workplace and real estate at Slack. Dino talked to us about what the workplace of the future looks like, how to create buildings that make us happier. And why your boss doesn't need a corner office. He also told us why Buffalo, Wyoming is his favorite city. If you like what you are hearing, please subscribe to The Future of Cities on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, can you share your full name and title?
1: Yeah, Dino Roberts. I am the Senior Director of Global Workplace and Real Estate for Slack.
2: Dino, let's get into the tough questions. We're so excited to have you on today. It's good to be here. What's your favorite city?
1: My favorite city in the world? Yeah. Oh, man. I feel like I'm going to alienate a lot of folks, right? So I'm going to have to say, honestly, Buffalo, Wyoming. Really? Yeah. That's a good one. We haven't yeah. got that one yet. No, no. I, I doubt you would. I think there's only 4,000 people that live there. We so. just got Bozeman, Montana. Did so. you? Well, that's I, – I think, you know, I grew up in Montana. and so I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bozeman is uh, – Bozeman's the cool kid of Montana, right? So come visit Bozeman in February. We'll see how you're doing. So now Buffalo, Wyoming, it's this like very authentic town in northeast Wyoming. It's by shared Wyoming. I My parents used to have a cattle ranch down there. I used to go work there every summer. And like for maybe even what Bozeman wants to be as like a cowboy western town, like Buffalo authentically is. There's something really interesting about this town where their architecture, their community their culture all feels like it should be. There's nothing sort of unauthentic about these people, right? And what's interesting too is that Wyoming is this interestingly like ruggedly independent but still progressive community where they put a tremendous amount of resource into public service, into community health centers, into public gyms, but still have this gritty toughness that you'd expect from somebody in the West. So I yeah, love Buffalo. it. Buffalo. And they make a good burger up there too, so
2: buy some burger. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I'm not a tourist buddy. Cattle. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's shit. What do you think makes a city great?
1: Oh, boy. I think what makes a city great is probably what makes, again, any community, whether it's a workspace, whether it's a family. I I think it's – going back to actually Buffalo, I think it's a shared understanding of what its core values are, right, and what it wants to be authentically, right? I think it's – for me as an individual, for me as a family member, for me as a member of a larger team or community – I think I want a thread of continuity in the community that is predictable, dependable, and authentic to who it is and who its history was, right? And again, that doesn't mean 200 years of tradition untouched by progress, but it means that you know if it is Buffalo, Wyoming, uh, it's going to continue to hold true to those values that made it this unique place. I think I see as I travel around the world to help scale Slack's offices, I see a lot of like attempts at really bad replication, like Silicon Valley is Silicon Valley, but then like when I go to Dublin and I hear about Silicon Docks, or I go to Boise and I hear about the Silicon Mountain or New York in the Silicon Alley. I wish they were just their own things. You know, like I love New York for those things that are authentically New York. I don't need it to be Silicon Valley. So yeah, going back to it, I think what makes a great city is a, is a deep understanding of who they are, what they are, where they've been and where they want to go. But there's a thread of continuity that's authentic through all of that.
2: Tell me a little bit about your role at Slack and kind of what is the scope of responsibilities?
1: Yeah, it's great. You know, I, I get the privilege and opportunity to, on a very sort of like theoretical level, I helped a Make possible or set the conditions for people to do their best work in the physical environment. Slack helps to do that as a product in the logical space, but you know I get this opportunity ultimately first and foremost to remove distraction from people's lives, and then second to enable some of their best work, be it through the design or operation of our workspaces. Right, but first and foremost is this removal of distraction. If I look at like workplaces around the world, even the open floor concept, it fails in a lot of ways, and uh, you know I, I think we're doing some stuff unique here that helps. One, to remove the distraction, and two, to encourage sort of people's best work. Practically, that means I help to identify, procure, design, build, operate Slack's workspaces around the world.
2: How many Slack workspaces do we have right now? What is the, you know, I don't know what you can share. No, no, Um, it's good. No,
1: no. I mean, uh, yeah, so I think we're at 10 locations now globally. You know, we've got expansion opportunities all around the world. I mean, Slack is is a product that uniquely has found success equally in the United States as it has in EMEA, as it has in APAC and Japan. And so I think our attempt right now is to really address those markets and communities where there's probably the most opportunity for Slack as a product.
2: So we just got the full tour for the listener here. We just got the full tour of the brand new Slack workspace here in San Francisco. Went through just about every floor, not quite every floor, but just about, including the ones that are not yet open to the public. Yes, so it was eye-opening. It was extremely interesting. Every single square foot was square inch is thought out, is planned. Talk to me about the creation of this workspace and really just the creation of workspaces in general. Like, what are you trying to do when you're creating an environment that brings out the best people's work?
1: Sure. I think, you know, again, I'm, I'm going to actually just co-op Slack's like mission, which is to make people's working lives simpler, more productive, and more pleasant. If Slack is trying to do that in the logical space, we're trying to do that in the physical space. What that means for me practically, though, is uh, I'll go back to this idea that we want to attempt to create a space that allows people to do meaningful work. Right? And meaningful work, surprisingly, is work that is sometimes not distracted, that is collaborative, that can meet the workers' conditions where they need to be, right? So I made comments previously on the open floor plan, right? This is a concept that Herman Miller you know, created back in the 50s and 60s. And you know, we've all, and certainly in tech, have been riding this horse for quite some time. But there's a lot of failures, right? Uh, some acoustics, some distraction. So I think we've done some stuff better in, in our workspace to help folks do this meaningful work, and that we give them spaces to do the quality of work where they need to do it. Much like Slack, again, logically helps folks to, to sort of like come together in these spaces for either a long-term or short-term Come to some decisions or project resolution, and then dissolve that space. We physically want that to be manifested in our workspaces around the world. So, yeah, for me, I, I think the, the highest attribution for Slack's physical environment is that it's in alignment both with our culture and with our tools that we use. Uh, you know, at Slack, one of which is Slack itself, of course.
2: You know, I mean, it's really interesting and kind of a no-brainer. It's like, hey, we we didn't nail it seventy years ago, right? You know, when we when we thought of this floor plan. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with Eric Reese, kind of says something similar where he's like, you know, we didn't get the uh, company structure right. We just nailed it in 1920 and and said, no, it's like all these siloed things. But I think it's a really interesting insight because the idea that so many places replicate their employees' work and how different companies are, like a company like Tesla or like a company that requires, or a a software company that requires tons of sales rep versus zero sales rep, a place that has tons of high-volume workers. Is that a phrase, high-volume workers? I I can't believe that's Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, sure. (laughs) Either way, I made it up. But this idea that each workspace has to conform to the ability that lots of people are going to be working there, and those people have individual needs. And, you know, this idea of, like, we're all kind of unique individuals and we all learn and grow and focus in our own ways. But it really is true. And being able to have resources for that is extremely important. How do you kind of, like, balance those demands and those needs?
1: Sure. I think, it. you know, first and foremost, for us, it starts with this deep empathy for our workforce, right? Which is really interesting. If, if we, as a global workplace and real estate team, put ourselves in the position of our workers, as you talked about, that, you know, some of them need different conditions to, to do their best work, you know, How can we, in a very meaningful and authentic way, like match that need where it is, right? While still holding some constraints on the resource and cost. But we see things like, you know, if we look at the modern worker, like the modern knowledge worker, right? And particularly in tech, you know, these folks are – are probably at their desks or at least at their laptop for eight to 10 hours a day. You know, if if I, in fact, was employing lumberjacks, I would want them to have the best saws or axes that I could possibly give them. Why would I skimp on their primary work tool, right? And so for us, as we look at our employees, how we best enable their work, it would be silly for us if we had an employee that wanted a, a, a specialized keyboard or that wanted a certain type of chair or that needed a little bit more acoustical accommodation, like, it would be ridiculous if we didn't meet that need where it is. Now, if somebody wants a cotton candy machine and a, you know, curly slide from one floor to the other, well, that's that's absurd. So uh, one of my favorite quotes is – it kind of goes back to some of your earlier questions about the future of cities – is Winston Churchill. He said, like, you know, we build buildings thereafter they build us. <laughs> right? And it's, you know, a pretty, like, pretty nascent quote in that it's this idea that as much as we affect the architecture and design, it, every day thereafter will affect us. It will affect our demeanor, our culture, how we interact, how we work. And you, know, you and I both had the privilege of spending quite a bit of time in, in government. And, you know, every time I, I travel back to these amazing men and women that work in government, I'm always shocked by their workspaces that are these huge, sort of, like, siloed, cubicled spaces. And you can viscerally feel the lack of collaboration and communication that occurs simply because of the physical environment. And so, you know, for us, we practically and actually want to tear down some of those walls, but we want to also want to honor that uniquely people need their tools and resources to do their best work.
2: My, my first job in the army, I don't think I've told you this. My first job in the army, I quite literally sat in a hallway. Like That's great. I had I sat outside of the battalion commander's office as a lieutenant, That's great. In the hallway. It's like, try to get some work done when you are in the middle of a hallway. Yeah. I think that that's, that's one of those scenarios where there are a lot of people whose actual deaths are in the hallway as it relates to their work, but that is not, if it relates to your work, then it makes sense. I want to go into some of the tech and pieces of this building that make it really unique. I think it's something that is really—it's so different from a lot of other buildings that I've seen, and it feels different. How was it kind of planned? With the I just just describe like the floor plan and sure. what the different floors do, and and we can kind of go. Sure, into Sure, of, of course. That you stuff.
1: know, th- this always starts like any project with with our leader's vision, right? And you know, our CEO Stuart Butterfield, you know, has really some high aspirations for not what our workspace, again, should be logically, but what it should physically feel and be experienced. You know, I I think it starts with, again, this idea of authenticity. I think it starts with the idea of craftsmanship, is that if we're going to do something, do it very, very well. It very much starts with this strong maxims he's given us that, like, you know, I think you and I were talking before this podcast about evolutionarily, like humans have only worked in offices for, you know, 150 years, that really that this idea that we need some connection to nature of the space. So you'll see you know, realize throughout the space, a lot of plant, a lot of greenery, a lot of natural light pass through to the interior of the core. Those are the things that just on a very biological level, humans are far more comfortable with. Stuart is also very interested in transparency, this idea that you know, both Slack is a product and then our physical workspace, you know, there should be very few reasons that I can't see into a space, right? There's very few conversations that if I've hired the right people, that that information shouldn't be broadly shared. And so again, that's reflected in our physical workspace. Some of the actual details of it is that the, the building itself is like a journey Journey. You know, here at 500 Howard. The original concept is a Pacific Crest Trail, whereas the lower floors would replicate the lower parts of the Pacific Crest Trail in the Pacific Southwest and then move up through the coast of California up into, into British Columbia. So if you find yourself on the ninth or tenth floors of our building here, it would be more akin to a mountaintop summit glacial experience, right? So this idea of a journey, though, is really what it is. But I definitely think that there are, are some commonalities through all of the space that pay a nod to transparency, that pay a nod to collaborative work, that pay a nod to your need to find hidden kind of quiet spaces to do your best work if needed. Yeah. And I would
2: argue it's, I would say it's more than a nod. I mean, I think one of the things that I'm so struck by here is every level of the building space is geared towards productivity and collaboration, Correct. which coincidentally is one of the right. parts of Slack that right. is, you know, core to Slack. I mean, you're talking about rounded edges instead of corners so that people don't walk into each other in the hallways. These are the type of things that I think, like you said, are engineered and they're engineered so that the people inside can do the best work. What do you think the returns on something like this are? Like, there's not a lot of buildings that are built like this. There's not a lot of office spaces that are built like this. But I think that looking forward to the future cities and the future of where we work and how we work, I think that stuff like this, having natural greenery, having elements of nature, having wood, things that are part of the human condition that have been that way for 100,000 years, are really important. But like, what is the return on that? What is like, what do you think this looks like going forward?
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, going back to this future cities thing, or even the history of cities, I'm always remarked when I go back to, I'm originally again from Helena, Montana, right? It's this amazing sort of like gold mining town that there's these amazing historical buildings in there that were built during the gold rush of the late 1800s and through the early 1900s. And these beautiful Ode to like granite and like craftsmanship. And then we entered this period in this country where our cities and our buildings became just grossly functional, right? Probably the pinnacle of that utilitarianism would be probably in like the 70s, right? These terribly designed government office buildings that were just fully maximized for, you know, headcount and not for comfort or pleasure. And so I think that you ask what the return on that is. And again, I go back to this analogy of these cities is that like you know, what is the return on those amazing iconic buildings that these amazing women and men of a century ago envisioned? And they still have this inspirational impact today, right? So yeah, is there a direct ROI in the immediacy? Probably not, right? At best right now, these spaces can remove distraction and inspire. But over the long term, no, I think they they, they make a gross impact on the net productivity, effectiveness, and well-being of our employees, right? I, I really do think that they're a well-thought-out and empathetic space that is well-crafted brings meaning to people's working life. It replicates what we're asking from them in their best life. If the environment that I'm operating in, the physical space itself, doesn't meet the high expectations of what I hope the job would be, of what the mission, the vision of the organization is, then you have a lack of coincidence there. And it's a daily reminder that what you're doing actually isn't that important.
2: But I think, I mean, look at, over history, just and you could look in, in in movies in this of how many people talk about getting a window. Well, right. oh, I have an office with a window. That means like you've arrived, right? right, right, oh, right and right. then you have then, talk about then the the corner office yeah, yeah, with yeah. two windows. Yeah, then you're yeah. like, really, you know? And then you get up to the executive where oh, They have they have four windows right. surrounding their yeah. office, right? Which might give me the heebie-jeebies. That day, I get, that day you know.
1: I, honestly, to Slack that day is a little repulsive, right? And I think that modern workplaces, like you, don't have to buy your physical alignment and hierarchy and structure remind me who my boss is. Absolutely. Yeah. Perfectly. No, it's, it, again, it's, it's a gross insult to the motivation and good work of humans. Like I know who my boss's boss is. And so our space doesn't have to smack of that, right? Like every time I hear that somebody has an executive bathroom or an executive <laughs> floor, it's just, it just, it almost like makes me cringe a little bit. It's just, it's such an old idea. It is such a hierarchical structure and it certainly doesn't empower people. It, it starts with a premise of, I would even say fear. Right. Like, you know, in the physical manifestation of our space, you are literally put in a place where you're reminded daily of how unimportant the work is that you're doing. It calls
2: back to like the you know, the officers' quarters or the things yeah. like that or like the officer's mess. Like that was one of the things that I always thought I was like I was never in the Navy, but I was always like eh, it's kinda weird. It's
1: uncomfortable. Yeah, it's little yeah, little it's weird. interesting. You know, the military coming from the military, you know, as as we approach each other in our daily duties, you're always you can physically see by their rank structure and the outfit they're wearing, like, you know, who you would need to pay deference to and, and be subordinate to. So
2: what do you think about corporate campuses and this idea of having the people around you working versus the idea of like co-working spaces and how do these affect, how do these like kind of two ideas, uh, do you think they're like at odds with each other or do you think that putting these things all around each other going forward are things that can be complementary and can increase the flow of different employees and different people working in and around each other.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So I kind of want to segment this into two spaces. First of all, the idea of what the, you know, our sort of siloed corporate campus experience would be like. I think Slack is doing some things. We believe some things that like, you know, I was sharing with you that we, in our old office, we literally used to have a sign that said, work hard and go home, right? (laughs) We want people to come here and do their best work of their lives, but we think that's eight hours a day, you know, nine if it's a busy day, but we want you to go do those other things. Things. Like, we don't want you to eat all of your meals here. We don't have game rooms with ping pong tables and life-size Jenga and, you know, ironic beanbag chairs. We, we think go, – go play elsewhere right? Like go do those meaningful things in other places. This isn't your life. This is your workspace, right? And so for us, I think we're cutting a different path and maybe some of our, our tech peers out there in sort of the amenities and benefits that we offer our folks. We're going to offer you the opportunity to come work on a great product in a great environment that's well-crafted, well-designed, hit you with those amenities that will help you be more productive and impactful. But then everything else we we think we should do elsewhere. Now, to this idea of co-location, right? This is really an interesting concept in commercial real estate. We work in Galvanized and Common Ground, some of these like larger name spaces by Regis are really challenging sort of like what is the corporate campus and what does this corporate feel? And one of their selling points is come do your work in a space that is proximate to other, you know, emerging technologies, other companies, this shared communal knowledge, Right. It's interesting for me right now, right? It's, as uh, I've been to quite a few of these spaces, I mean, from a commercial side, they offer some flexibility and like risk exposure that we don't have to assume, we don't have to dump a lot into CapEx, but to that deeper mission of of making their workspaces more collaborative and knowledge sharing, I think we're getting there, but now we're not quite there yet, right?
2: And, yeah, and I think that the, the thing that people miss about this sometimes is just the nuance of the size of your organization dictates many things. Like yes. one of the things when we talked to WeWork, I think it was like 17% of WeWork members survive an extra year. What I forget the stat off the top of my head. But the idea of if you're a certain size... right it's a great fit and oh, like and yeah. that that there are different levels to companies and the type of company and how you are I mean like there's no there's no silver bullet and I think you know we've echoed this a few times on the future cities but like this idea that like there is not a silver bullet for your and you can't have oh well every company should be a remote company or right. every company should be this and right. like those are things that really don't serve anyone well it, it, it's not so
1: WeWork has interestingly come out with uh you know just comment on them it's really come out with an interesting product recently they have like an enterprise product that can address sort of the needs of, like, larger-scale companies like ourselves. And it really is making, like, a nice market fit for us, right? I, I think it's then interesting when you take the physical environment – culture, which is something that leadership maintains. But then we take a tool like Slack and put all of those together. So we get the benefit of physically being in a larger, collaborative, flexible workspace. We have tools that meaningfully allow us to connect with one another. And then, you know, a culture that that encourages all of those. So, yeah, it's cool. I I, I like that they're doing. They're, they're disrupting a commercial real estate model that uh, has existed since the commercial real estate has existed. Right? Yeah, and they're, it, they're yeah. really shaking things up.
2: Let's talk about like the companies workplace effect on the larger city, right? We've talked in the course of this podcast to uh Lyft about driverless cars. Yeah. We've talked to Airbnb about where people are staying. We've, we've talked to architects and, and designers and different people and urbanists and to resilience about how kind of all of these things are interconnected at the core of every city. The reason why people are there nine times out of 10 is that that is where their job is. Of course. And that is where they're going to be doing their work. Right. How do you think like looking forward, you know, 15 years, looking forward 50 years, how do you think that the nature of where companies are affect like the shape of those cities?
1: So again, I think this is a deep belief that we have. We, we wrote something a couple of years ago called the workplace manifesto. It was kind of like our high vision and idea about what workplaces should be. And I remember a couple of those great tenants are that we should be a deep, deep part of the community, right? And I think that's important that like, though we may have these impressive physical structures that when possible, when able, for the community's benefit and our benefit, we allow as much of that blending as possible, right? I'm always inspired when I go to like LinkedIn or to Salesforce space, they have these like wonderful Airbnb has these wonderful communal spaces that kind of co-blend with their workspace that allows for like this natural flow of the of the community through their workspace. It's almost, other than maybe a few security checkpoints, it's hard to tell where Airbnb starts and that communal space stops. Um, but to the higher premise, I think that you know if they if we come back to this idea that we we are in the city to do work and we want to do meaningful work part of our definition of meaningful work is that you have a relationship with that community that it's again I go back to Buffalo Wyoming that, that your workspace is authentic in this ideal and in this feel that we honor what say San Francisco is here at 500 Howard or our office in Dublin or Vancouver that we simply don't want to be you know this odd, out of coincidence entity in a community. When in fact, if we dug deeper into this community, it benefits not just ourselves, but benefits the, the community collectively. So practically how we do that, like when we source goods and services, we make sure that we're looking for minority owned businesses, local small businesses in the area. Like when we can do that, we as a business can make choices that that deepens our relationship with that community. As goes the community, will go the health of our business. We absolutely believe that.
2: You know, I think you touched on something really interesting there that the idea of like the choices that the company makes to be part of the community and the choices that the company makes to do the things like you're talking about with Salesforce and Airbnb and the way that those communal spaces kind of work. I think that a lot of this comes down to like the choice of the business of are we going to create something that we feel proud of right. and that people feel proud of being in and right. that you would want to show off to your, your friends and that you feel comfortable in every day. I think this is a new phenomenon. Like I, I truly think that like this is something that you know, 100 years ago, I think someone would be really shocked about this. And I think that that level of innovation is probably not the norm right now. But I I mean, I guess the optimist in me is like, shouldn't everywhere that we're creating be beautiful? Shouldn't these buildings, like, shouldn't that be the standard? And that's what I think is so interesting is like, one of the things that's so fascinating to me about this topic and about building new buildings and redesigning them is that there is an opportunity to create things that are the same price that are still beautiful. Correct. I think we, we default to kind of the lowest bidder sometimes. Right. I know in our time in the Army, we've been familiar with that. But like, talk to me about this idea of beautiful and affordable and places that we're proud of and like, Are those at odds with one another or not?
1: No, yeah. Again, I don't think for us, I don't think more dollars per square foot equates necessarily always to a better workplace experience for our employees, right? I mean, it isn't quite that sort of linear that – some of the things that you've seen in this space and you would find common through all of our spaces is, again, some very simple, clean spaces that just give these beautiful sort of views of the city, these spaces that are maybe just a, a single well-crafted chair next to a plant or something like that. One, we, we actually want to curb a sense of entitlement here a little bit. Like we don't want, you know, we want our folks humble is one of our sort of core attributes that we share here. And we want our folks to remain humble. But we also want to, again, we don't want our workspaces to be almost like comical in the sense that it's like so visually overwhelming and it's so overbranded and it's so excessive in its t- entitlements that you miss this beauty of the larger community around you, right? So we, we typically like try to make our space clean and, and try to definitely connect it with the tone uh, that is the community. Like, so I mean, how we do this practically is we always pick sort of these like very sort of gritty local architects, right? There are some great architect firms all throughout the, the Bay Area, you know, throughout these major cities that we're in. But we really, when we are evaluating who are gonna be our architect or design partners, we look for the folks that have this deep, deep passion for the communities they in. And what's interesting is all of them have an equal passion to build our space as they do to build a larger, greater community. It's for us when we find those types of partners, that's how we know they're going to help us create the space that is meaningful for our folks.
2: That's really cool. I want to talk a little bit about some of the smaller things that make a difference, like the robots and the, the, like all those little things just, and like, you could just talk about like, generally speaking, you know, stuff that you've had here stuff that you've seen, but you've seen, I mean, thousands and thousands of buildings and workspaces around the world. What are some of those best practices? What are some of those cutting edge things that we can expect coming down the pipe in, you know, a building near you, but that really make a huge difference? Sure.
1: Again, let's go back to this idea that not just the buildings sort of shape our experience that we're in, right? They, they they definitely have a language, but also how they're sort of operated and how they function also does too. So let's talk about everyone's experience when they come into like a large company or a large building. You're invariably always going to be greeted with a combination of security and or reception. And we start with the premise that we think we can have world-class security without all the old school obvious trappings. Like I don't need to, to make a cliche like a sort of like J P Morgan Chase Bank Fort Knox. Th- think about what that experience is. If I'm yeah. an employer, I'm a customer, a client, or a visitor, and immediately I'm greeted with an architecture of security that screams suspicion. That immediately, without saying words, is who are you and why are you here? Yeah. Right. So if we leverage technology, you know, whether it be facial recognition or great products like Envoy, we can still have all of that surety that we need as a business of world class safety and security for us and our product and our reputation. Without being so if we're just a little bit smarter in that, but then we we pair that with like world class reception. right And I shared with you as we walked about our spaces, we talk a lot about sort of concert level service from our team. We, all the way down to our receptionist, you know, to the porters, to all of the people that help to service and operate the space, we index very high on folks that have a high emotional intelligence and that have a deep, deep belief that their lives are better by making others' lives better. They have this, like, this index towards service, which, again, coming from the military, that's the place that we naturally find ourselves. And so if you were to walk into any Slack space around the world, besides not having this sort of repugnant security architecture, you're also going to be greeted with amazing women and men that are deeply like wanting to engage you on a human level, ask you how your day is going, is there anything I can get for you? And these aren't just sort of some gratuitous thing that they're taught to read off a checklist. We find folks to help run these receptions that are deeply invested in your well-being. And again, think about this. As you come in as an employee or you come into this office, it's either way, it's either your first primal experience for the day or for your experience in our building and with our product. So much of who we are as a company, who we are as a culture, who we are as a community, can be described just in those very first few interactions. Like any great product, the first time you open it, the first time you click around on it, the first time you unwrap it, it's that first primary experience that really brands your impression of everything that's going to happen thereafter. So again, I think the future that you're talking about is one that's a little more sensitive to meeting humans where they are, that you know, can meet all of these high standards that businesses and communities maintain without sort of all the obvious trappings of them. One that is kinder, more empathetic, but is still as serious as they should be. I think technology combined with some great natural human aspects, those two coming together make us our best selves.
2: Yeah, I I, I love that. And I can say that, you know, what it feels like to me is just a baseline level of trust right. of everyone who comes in the building. And when you feel like you're being trusted, magical things happen, Yeah, imagine what
1: can happen, right?
2: And, And I think that that's one of the things that strikes me as maybe an aspirational way forward for other organizations to see of like, hey, you know, maybe we should put a little bit more trust in employees to have a vending machine that has, you know, computers and mouse pads in it that right. you just trust people to do things. So, yeah,
1: they're they're, they're going to ask for them. I'm going to give them to them anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, yeah. And I think even to the larger thing of cities, like how does this expand a cities? like, you know, you know, coming from so many years in the military working with like law enforcement and stuff. I mean, you would find that there's always a disconnect with, you know, governments and cities and, and citizens is usually a trust gap in there. Right. And it's, you know, it's the government again, as we've worked in particularly cities in their, governance, every rule and everything they build is for the one bad incident that might have happened five years ago. Mm -hmm. So again, it starts with a a relationship of, I don't trust you. But now you look at some effective communities where law enforcement has gained the trust of the community, where the city plan, and it all starts with those folks listening and understanding and assuming good intent to start with.
2: Yeah. I love that. Let's do the lightning round. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Please. What app are you using on your phone that's the most fun?
1: Surfline. Favorite time-saving tool? Favorite time-saving? has to be, I'm sorry, but Slack probably. Yeah. Like it's just, you know, again, just because I don't have to pound out these huge, like, dear Bob, salutation, salutation, body, 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 very respectfully. Like it, th- the speed of communication and decision-making is just so much quicker.
2: It's so, uh, it's great. We use it every day at the mission. Favorite podcast?
1: I think, uh, you know, How I Built This is great. Yeah. Is, yeah.
2: Favorite recent book you've
1: read? This is almost cliché, but I've been so late to read it. Was Outliers? Oh yeah, right? it's great. Yeah, totally. but yeah, um, I'm always most moved by the last book I read. So, yeah, you know, no, can, I know, me you know, too. Give me a week, and I'll, I'll tell you the, the last book I just read is impactful. So, yeah, yeah. I, that's what
2: I'm too. Favorite content or show that you're watching?
1: Yeah, I'm intrigued. Uh, this is going to seem obvious given my Montana roots, but Yellowstone with Kevin Costner. Oh, it is, yeah, it's I this have not like it out. it's like it's like our version of Dynasty or Dallas right? So this is like romantic sort of like ranch life, but it's, it's really cool because it is talking about the intersections of some, some tough community issues that I grew up with in Montana. It is tribal politics, meaning land ownership, meaning gas and oil, meeting like ranchers. Yeah. And so it's, it's been really interesting. I, I grew up in all of those environs, So it's been cool.
2: If you ever one day get away in the Bay Area, I'm have to say Half Moon Bay. Half Moon Bay? Yeah. What part of the future cities are you most
1: excited about? I'm most excited, again, it's kind of this idea of this convergence of like the tools that we use to operate our lives. I mean, uh, with, you know, the spaces that we're in and the architecture that we exist and the culture that we have. And I think if all of those could combine and come together, I think they would free people to be their most authentic selves, right? I think it's when a community's best. I think it's when a city's best. I think it's when a team, a company, an individual are best, when folks, can fully express or thrive their best attributes and impact not just themselves, but the community around them.
2: I think it's, I mean, I think that's a, a great point. And I think that, I think with the rise of, you know, millennials, which I, I, I generally hate the word millennials. I yeah, just think it's like, there's like, oh, congrats. It's young people, or yeah. it's like people of an age. Right. It's like, oh, well, millennials do this. Like people in their late 20s do that every, every, ten, <laughs> every 10 years. The people in their yeah, late yeah, 20s yeah, yeah. do stuff. No, but I think it's, I think that like the rise of like authenticity is something that requiring that from society, I think is a is really cool, I think it's going to be the future. Yeah, I think tomorrow. great
1: cities and great communities will realize, you know, the best talents of all of their citizens. We'll remove the roadblocks, the constructs, uh, the physical manifestations that, that keep us from being our best selves.
2: Final question. Yeah. So a society grows great when old people plant trees whose shade they shall never sit in. So what's Slack doing to plant trees?
1: Wow. It's good. You know, I mean, we were sh- talking a little bit before this that like you know, Slack as a product is, you know, revolutionary in so many ways, right? It is increasingly transparent. It meets the worker where they need to be. It provides for speed of decision and collaboration and transparency that's sort of unprecedented right now, right? I think the seeds that we're planting, and I don't want to step my bounds here, but I think the seeds that we're planting are ones that, much like I just gave in the previous answer, that allows people the space and ability to communicate their best ideas, their most meaningful work, into something that makes an impact for them in their companies, in their organizations.
2: I mean, the most precious thing that we have is our time, and right. things that save our time. I mean, I think we as a society, don't value that enough. We talked earlier about advertising. And if you're looking at like, hey, things that every 30 minutes take eight minutes of your life, like probably not
1: great. (laughs) Probably not great. Probably not great.
2: All right. Any other other final thoughts or any stuff that kind of we missed?
1: No, I think we're having fun doing this. I think uh, that, you know, Slack believes that it's its ultimate success, is going to be solving the real problems for our customers and our clients around the world. Like we deeply need to understand the operating environments in which they're making decisions, how they're collaborating. You know, I think for all of us, if we're going to spend these eight to 10 hours a day at work where we'd rather be with friends or family or doing something else, how can we make that experience a little kinder, a little simpler, a little more pleasant, and certainly a little more productive?
2: Well said. Yep. Thanks so Thank much. You, you know.
1: Appreciate it. Thank you to our friends at Katerra. The multi-trillion dollar global construction industry is ready for change. Katerra's end-to-end team is joining together from different industries to innovate the future of building. Learn how you can join their growing team at katerra.com or click the link in our show. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.